Okay, what are we doing here? Okay, there we go. This is Lady Angelo. Hello, hello. Uh, 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 right. I've been wondering uh, around a topic about it, of, uh, of, uh, import to me. It might be uh, a value to me uh, currently. And that is a, a, a drawing, uh, observational versus, uh, or, or moving, in, in moving toward imaginative drawing. Now, observational drawing is, of course, uh, uh, documenting or creating a, a, an artifact of the documentation of the real world or whatever one can observe in the world around them. That means that the things that you draw must exist, at least in, to some extent. They must actually exist. You must see them before you and be able to work with them. But the imaginative part of that, and every artist does this to some extent, whether they'll admit it or not. I went, I went to school with a guy, one of my professors, who was an amazing professor, UG. He was very convinced that there's no reason that you should add or subtract anything from from. What you're, what you're looking at because it all had beauty and it all was the, the specificity of it is what made it a special thing to be uh, observing and painting however I take issue with that as well because I understand what he's getting at absolutely understand what he's getting at however there are many instances where it is on, the artist is creating a world from the, the raw materials of the world around them. And that is an interesting uh, exploration of artistic uh, uh, merit as well. Now, one can't create if one isn't imaginative. And one can't imagine if one is limited to what one can observe immediately in a moment. So both of those philosophies... And, you know, and there are some people who say you should just mess with it no matter what happens. You know, the cartoonists, for example, the animation people, they're always looking to push the gesture or push the shapes or, or exaggerate um, in, 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 a, in their own way to bring life to the observed that isn't already there. And those two people don't get along at all. And why is that? Because they're both right. They're absolutely both right. Of course there's beauty in the world, the observable world, of course. And of course there isn't anything necessary to add or subtract from it. It's perfect the way it is. However, human beings for centuries, for nigh on millennia era, we, we've been doing this the very thing. We control, we, we edit, we, we add and subtract. It's what human beings do. And I would also make the argument that no matter how hard you're trying to stick to the observed object or, or subject, uh, there is always something you do to change it, whether you're, whether you're aware of it or not. Sometimes those things are mistakes and sometimes they're very intentional. There are things called tangents that occur in real life. That's where two things of a similar shape or a similar that have a similar edge sort of line up in a weird way. Uh, and, and it's funny, sometimes funny to see photographs of this where there's somebody's hand that's in the foreground and then somebody's, I don't know, crotch in a background. And they're not touching, but it certainly looks like they are. 
That's the best example I could think of. Usually this happens with straight lines. You know, a straight line from this object intersects with a straight line from a further object, and then it creates a weird, and we call those tangents. They're tangents because they draw the eye. And I remember an artist that we were studying in school, but I don't remember his name, of course, who uh, his artwork was full of tangents because he was pushing those things for effect. And what they have the tendency to do is draw the eye to them. That's neither here nor there. However, I, was, I thought it would be interesting to show you those two camps. One, that the observed world is the best one and the only one to be drawing and painting. And two, where you push it and imagine it no matter what. Even in a, in a gesture drawing situation where you're trying to work from a model, these particular groups of people will create what, what looks more like a cartoon or a caricature of what is actually there before them. And those are beautiful drawings as well. So well, who's to say what's what? My point, and my only point, in all of this, is that they are both critical. And there's a whole, there's a third option for you, uh, for the purist. Who needs a... I, I just need a name for it and it's done. That's the third option. You do both. What's wrong with that? Why, you, why do we have to worry about what's right or wrong anyway? Silly. Anyway, that's all I'm saying about that. Mmm. I've been taking my coffee on the road. Uh, no accidents yet. Fingers crossed. Two days, no accidents. <laughs> All right. What am I talking about? Uh, so, is on the artist. Uh, the artist who wishes to be an artist who is flexible in uh, working from the observed and the imagined needs to have a library of items. Needs to be fluent in the language of observation. Oh, I like that. I'm going to write that down. Fluent in the language of observation. Because the observational drawing language is very specific. It involves measuring, it involves uh, checking angles, and it involves uh, certain principles of uh, that I am I am, hesitate to call them scientific, but they they're, they're very scientific principles of how the world works in terms of creating two-dimensional illusions of a three-dimensional world. There are these rules. And they are very scientific and technical. Okay. Maybe technical is a better word. Working with those rules, you get consistent results. And often, uh, it's a, they're, uh, they, it can fix problems that you might see in the real world, the observed world, that don't follow those rules or do follow those rules, but the scenario in particular is so complex you'll never be able to capture it in a, in a decent amount of time. Let me give you an example of that. In the real world, in the observed world, there was sun that shines down, but there's also artificial light all around, and there's also reflected light from surfaces that are not natural at all, highly reflective surfaces, you know, like metals and whatnot. There's also highly reflective surfaces from concrete, and those things diffuse the sunlight in ways that won't occur in a place that's a more organic-looking place. 
Those kinds of things are very hard to draw. They take the rules that you learn about how... Uh, and, oh, by the way, those technical rules, they involve perspective drawing, right? Linear perspective, as it's otherwise known, uh, invented sometime in the Renaissance, as they say, but who, who the fuck knows? And then, of course, rendering and rendering exercises. And the two are integrated uh, because linear perspective actually defines how light works as well. It all confines to this sort of rule of uh, uh, how lines converge and whatnot and, and things recede into space, etc., etc. And that's a very complicated system to learn. And it's highly technical. And people who do those drawings in a highly technical way... Although they are correct technically, they are often very boring because they lack human element. Well, wait, that has nothing to do with anything. My point is, you can use those rules and create a drawing and get out into an observed situation, scenario, and realize that they're not working for you because the rules you learn, they're simplifications of a very complicated uh, world out there. For example, in perspective drawing, they always use these railroad tracks as an example, as if some point in the, on a globe you can stand and there are railroad tracks that go straight forever. And they don't. There is no place like that. The most open space I ever saw was in the, in the uh, uh, mid, uh, Midwest, right, when you're driving through there. Uh, a lot of open space, but it is curved. The roads don't go exactly straight. They, they go up there, or bumps and whatnot. There are small uh, uh, ups and downs, etc., much like in life. And uh, you got to take those into account. And, and when you're drawing a straight line that goes off into infinity on a flat plane, that ain't, that ain't like real life at all. It's also not interesting. But uh, I'm sorry, I lost track of myself. What am I doing? Completely lost. Ah, yes, the observed world versus the imagined one. Well, in order to create a harmony, a synthesis of those two things, one must be fluent in the language of the observed or observational drawing. Yes, and that involves understanding the differences between the organic and the inorganic world. An observational and inventive drawing, inventive drawing from linear perspective, etc., 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 those are both going to use these principles. But it's important to understand how they differ. Because they differ a lot. The inorganic world, the, the human-made world, has the following uh, important principles, important characteristics. It has parallels. And I don't mean metaphorically. I mean literally parallel lines. For example, a box or a building has parallels. The walls are parallel to each other. The, the, the sides or the, in a box, they're called the faces. The faces are parallel to each other, right? They're, they're edges. They're parallel to each other. It also has right angles. And a right angle, is, as everybody may remember, is an L shape. That's a, basically a straight edge that's followed by another straight edge. Uh, a, a series of, of, of two right angles, or sorry, four right angles will make a box or, or a square. 
right? And a series of however many is in the three-dimensional object will make a cube or a box or, or as it's otherwise known, a rectangular prism. What's my point? With all of those things, all of those concepts, those are man-made. There are no boxes in nature. That's the organic world. Uh, God doesn't grow a box out of the ground. You, you pull a potato out of the ground, it'll never be in the shape of a box. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a mold you could buy that would make a square, hard-boiled egg. And my mother had that mold in the cabinet. I think it was from the 60s. Uh, moldy. And I said to my ma, let's make a square, hard-boiled egg. And she's like, I don't want to pull that thing out. And I'm like, but ma, what is it there for if we're not going to make a square, hard-boiled egg? Finally, I wore her down. We made the square, hard-boiled egg. So you, I don't remember how you do this. Oh, you, you put the, the egg in there. It's a, right, it's a raw egg, right? And then you put it in the mold, and then you cook it. I think it was something like that. What's my point? Even when that came out, even when that was ready, and it took like a day, it was ridiculous. Even when that thing was ready, it was not square at all. Not square. Squarer, perhaps, but definitely not square. I've seen it in Japan, they make a square watermelon which must take forever, but the Japanese are very patient people. So they made a square watermelon, but even that thing ain't square. And by the way, why would you pay more for a square watermelon? Do you really think that's more delicious? I don't know. It's fun to look at, but come on, who cares? Anyway, still not square. It's got rounded edges. It's not perfect. It can't be perfectly square. There's nothing in nature that's perfectly square like that. And that's the difference between inorganic and organic. A perfect square has sharp corners, right angles, faces that are uh, exactly the same size. Right? Right. Uh, and so when, you draw, when you're using linear perspective and drawing techniques that are very technical, highly technical, to draw things that are uh, inorganic, it's simpler. It's because it's already a human simplification of a, of a, of a natural concept. Because it, the, what are you going to do? Get a box in nature. You do what the, what the, uh, the old Indians did. And you carve out a, uh, I don't know, a log uh, for cooking it or whatever. But that wouldn't be square. But now we got to have a square thing, right? That's how we are. Anyway, it's important to understand the difference so that you don't square your organic forms and uh, round your inorganic forms. You also need to understand that the rules of drawing from inorganic things is it's not necessarily applicable to the rules of drawing for organic things. Some of the rules apply, some of them don't. And you would have to be fluent in order to know the difference. So that's a feat, and that's important. And I think that's all I was freaking getting at this whole freaking time. It's, boy, it's complicated. I don't know, i got to keep wandering around this. Uh, as if it matters. Okay. Well, that's, 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 I think, what I have to say about that. The, the further exploration of that dear thing. Okay, well. For what it's worth. Uh, this is Lady Angelo. Right. <laughs>